So let's get down to brass tacks. Here we are, November 7th, 2020. I'll forgo the usual list of things that have made 2020 a challenging year, and that's being generous. The, the list just keeps getting longer, and you know, you should know what it is. And, and now here we have arrived. Day one of having a new president-elect for our country, along with the history-making election of Kamala Harris as vice president. Now, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I celebrated yesterday. I was absolutely exuberant. I took gleeful notice of how President Trump received the news on a golf course. It felt like an appropriate full circle moment. But I celebrated for maybe just under five minutes. That was it. I played Rachel Platten's fight song, watched MSNBC, flipping to Fox News just to see what other people were saying. And if you tuned in at all this past week as we waited for results, you'll know where I'm going with this. It's been in the air in the commentary, newspapers, opinion columns, and whatnot. Much of it has been scathing, the, the rest just disappointed from liberals and conservatives alike. And instead of fully distilling their commentaries, I'll, I'll trust that you can look those up uh, yourself if you want to. But for me, it comes down to one bittersweet acknowledgement. This is where we get to live. For many Americans, there is a growing recognition that there is no unity in these United States. And marginalized communities will tell you that there hasn't been for decades, if ever. But right now, it's being felt in the bones of more and more people. Now, don't get me wrong. Go ahead and celebrate. I reckon you get to celebrate for roughly 3 minutes and 25 seconds, which is just how long Rachel Platten's fight song is. Because once that celebration is over, our hearts and minds need to return to planet Earth, the United States of America, and the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Once the dancing in the streets is over, once the celebra celebratory libations have been had, the waving of flags stops, even before the inauguration, we need to dive right back into the fray. There can be no praising of unity on our hearts and minds in this moment. And, and let me explain that real quick. I, I understand unity as a concept. I understand it as a lofty goal and an ultimate hope. I, I dream of unity, praising this world and life of ours with each utterance. And, and unity is, it, it's, it's not just the church we get confused with all the time. It, it's right there in our principles, those ethical, far-off goals we envision. The goal of world community, the sixth principle states, with peace, liberty, and justice for all. Sometimes the sixth principle is referred to as the, the Captain America or Superman principle. But either way, there it is, the goal of world community, and oh, how we dream of it. The bitter pill that we have to swallow is that we are so far off from this, from unity. And we can point fingers. The Republicans made this happen. No, 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 no. The Democrats did. Actually, a professor will jump in. If we look to the British colonialism that occurred in this, uh, on this continent, it started right there. The anthropologist might say it's in our DNA. The theologian, it's more about spiritual worship, warfare than anything. I have no concrete answers. I feel that is outside my scope of expertise. But it is there. I, I, I know it. I, I can name it. I can feel it. There is no unity, and that hope, that far-off possibility against all odds, requires me and all of us to stop pretending one president will make it happen, to stop pretending the utterance of unity will manifest it in any way. Over 70 million Americans looked at the current administration, which 
uh, I've shared openly, has been dangerous, divisive, and disastrous. And they said yes to it. They said yes to this pandemic left unchecked. Yes to denying justice for Breonna Taylor. Yes to alt-right fringe groups and militias threatening to kidnap governors and being empowered by our government. Yes to the wall at the Mexican border. Yes to Muslim bans. Yes to children in cages. Yes to callousness, anger, and vacuous obedience. And you know what? Part of me honestly believes the average voter didn't look at the ballot and vote for those things consciously. But still, there is complicity when those are openly stated goals and aspirations. Now, I could keep going, but this isn't about pointing fingers. This is about recognizing that there is a wide division of values that cannot be healed with the utterance of unity. Our politics are no longer about policy. They're about fundamental and irreconcilable divisions of values. We're not debating a capital gains tax. We're debating whether our nation should be walled off to the tired, the poor, and the huddled masses. We're not debating if there should be freedom of religion. We're debating whether an LGBTQ couple can be kicked out of a restaurant because a 2,000-year-old book of scripture tells a waitress to sit in judgment. We're not elaborating on finer points of school vouchers. Remember when those were big deals in the year 2000 and 2004? No, we're wondering if women will have access to health care, if millions of Americans will have access to health care, if we can ever get our act together to avert the worst of the climate crisis, and if there can be justice for our communities crying out. These are not matters of policy. These are matters of the heart and the soul, and the presidency will not be able to confront them all. Trumpism, as it has been called, this bizarre nationalist movement in our nation, was not defeated this week. It is not going away, and it is there. It is right there at that clashing of values that I need all of us to dwell. Not find rest, no, not when the Supreme Court may alter the course of our republic for a generation of more or more. No, we, we must dwell there at the clashing of our values, and we need to win the day. Now, people don't like when Unitarian Universalist ministers use Imagery of fighting in sermons, of winning the day, of speaking loudly and clearly with no ambiguity about why our values matter, why our values are crucial. We fear fundamentalism. We fear conflict. We fear not being the church for everyone. But here's the truth. We never were the church for everyone. We never were a church without conflict. We never were a church that didn't stake a claim. We just pretended it was otherwise. And perhaps I'm being too harsh on Unitarian Universalists. Some might say I'm not being too harsh enough. But I say these things because I love this faith and I want more than ever for us to emerge from this election as the radical church. To emerge from a small but meaningful progressive victory. To claim the title of progressive more triumphantly than ever. And to get back into the streets. To never ceasing in our fight for justice. Prayers made manifest. To recognizing that there will be another fight in the midterm elections. And again two years after that. To realize there cannot be a church that isn't political in 2020. That was a luxury of an era long past. We still can't campaign unless the Supreme Court changes that and it very well might. But we can look to our values and say with conviction, with clarity, with a loud voice, that we believe this is the world that we want to live in, that this is the world we want to make manifest, and this is the world that we are going to fight without ceasing until it exists. And so the fight continues. So 
if you must celebrate, but celebrate as you get back into the fight. The Reverend Dr. William Ellery Channing considered the father of American Unitarianism, whose statue sits proudly in the Boston Common. In, in delivering an ordination sermon to his colleague, the Reverend Jared Sparks in Baltimore, Maryland, um, I think it was May 5th, 1819, officially declared the Unitarian movement to be a unique expression of Protestant Christianity in America. And we can get into the over three-hour sermon he wrote for that day another time. It's a wonderful foundational document for our tradition. But the entire sermon was preached on a simple, short Bible verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is true. You could say the original Unitarian denomination was founded on that verse. And we owe our lineage to that. Prove all things. Traditionally, the explanation is right there. Don't accept what is given to you. Dig into it. Find the facts. Discern the truth. Channing said, do not think that you may innocently follow the opinions which prevail around you without investigation. But when I hear prove all things, I think instead of, of baking bread. When you prove dough for bread, it rises given enough time and patience. I like that. Let's continue to cherish facts, science, and truth without apology. But let's also take our values and prove them as we would a loaf of bread. Let them rise in our hearts and minds. Let them rise in our church. Let them rise and rise and rise and consume every single thing that we do. I believe religion has gotten complacent. It has. And I think some religious progressives are waking up to that. So I don't mean that as a dour commentary, but there is a whole lot of rising that still needs to happen. And if you watch the Great British Bake Off, dough that is underproved is not that good. Prove all things. Let our values rise. It continues, hold fast that which is true. And often it's translated, hold fast that which is good. What do our values mean to us? And I'll be talking more about this this month, but they are not objects to bludgeon each other with when we make mistakes. They are not tests of fidelity or piety, but they are, if we let them, a dream of a world to come. Not a world to come in some afterlife or some other realm, but a world to come right here. They are a vision of a just world, a world of unity, a world of good and right hope. When Dr. King talked about his dream, he didn't mean it only existed in his head. He shared his dream to get people out into the streets, to get them moving, to get them committing themselves to the work around them, for the work never ends. And I turned to Channing again. He wrote, We believe that no dispositions infused into us without our own moral activity are of the nature of virtue. And therefore, we reject the doctrine of irresistible divine influence on the human mind, molding it into goodness as marble is hewn into a statue. And so there it is. Your, our moral activity is the only creator of virtue and goodness. Are we to be the radical church? Do we have the courage to mobilize? Do we imagine ourselves out there staking a claim, moving from the world of prophecy, which Unitarian Universalists are quite good at? 
Our principles are all about the prophetic. Can we move away from that and get into the practical, the gritty, the heart-wrenching action? Imagine this. We can be the church opening our doors, being a sanctuary, for there is much to protest, to organize, to sustain in the days to come. Imagine this. We can be religious witnesses to what is happening on the streets, for the alt-right has been empowered and will not go quietly from their place of privilege. Imagine this. We can take that radical act of, as simple as it sounds, of saying we will let go of being the island oasis this church has liked to be for so long, and instead be hands and voices and hearts in the mess, in the thick of it, away from the trees enveloping us. The gestures need not be grand. We cannot and should not imagine ourselves as the ones saving this world. But we can bring water to protesters. We can get trained to be street medics for justice events. We can keep writing to our elected officials. And I know the campaigns are over, but don't stop. We can do that as a church. We can stop taking the easy route of donating money and instead donate our passion, donate our power, donate our community to the good fight still happening. In all of this, there is no unity. Unity right now is complacency. And there can be no unity until there is accountability. There can be no accountability until there is justice. And there can be no justice until there is commitment. And there can be no commitment until we decide to be the radical church. Now, some of you might be thinking, but, but Reverend, are you preaching disunity? Absolutely not. Disunity was there before I arrived. But what I need to emphasize is that unity is a far-off hope. I would even say to let the politicians deal with that. But our work, our religious work, is leaning into our values, our radical values, ever more forcefully. When Channing preached that sermon, he was betraying every impulse he had. He was a Boston Brahmin. You didn't preach controversial topics. You didn't risk division or disunity, but he did. He separated the Unitarians from the Trinitarians with that sermon. And in so doing, he freed progressive Christians at that time to ever more forcefully engage abolition. The rights of women to not only preach in churches, but to vote nationwide. Workers' rights and freedom from fundamentalism. Those stances, those values did not bring unity. They brought great turmoil. But the rewards, the rewards outweighed the discomfort. And that is our work, to wrestle with discomfort. And so, let it be said, let the church be uncomfortable again. And this is also a call for all of us, not some of us, not the few handfuls of people I can name off the top of my head right now, but every single one of us, not all of us will be street medics for protests. Not all of us will march. But everyone here can have the courage to speak our values into the world and to be a witness for worth, dignity, compassion, and equity. And sometimes compassion is met with disdain, so we speak it ever more clearly and forcefully. Not nastily, but with conviction. Everyone has a part. And so I look to this election and, yeah, there's some celebration to be had. But all of us still get to wake up each day in a divided America. Our instincts will tell us to, to hope it'll be okay. It, it won't. It hasn't been for a long time, and we need to make peace with that. We get to wake up in America in 2020 and make a choice. Will we be complacent? I, I really hope not. For myself and for all of you. 
Or will we as a church keep fighting for our values? And if I'm being honest, that's a preacher's rhetorical question. The church must, should it want to be relevant in the decades to come, take hold of the mantle of radical church and not shy away. People will still suffer in our world. People are still marginalized. And there is a balm with the news of this weekend. But there are still bitter herbs for so many around us. And so here we are. As your minister, I cannot be the church for you. But that is a glimpse, everything I've just said, that is a glimpse of what my vision and deepest hope is for this place. It's nothing new. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Let our hearts and our minds rise to this moment before us, carrying the flame of our faith into the tempest, because it'll be there waiting for us no matter what. We are not done yet. Blessed be. Amen.